Kate Cranny is a science communicator and artist. Since finishing her Masters of Botany last year, Kate has been working with the Nature Conservancy, helping establish a new women's ranger group in the Solomon Islands. Kate is passionate about the benefits of Indigenous ranger programs, the joys of fieldwork in remote places, the drawing of insects, and the sculpting of clay fish. Please make Kate feel very welcome. Okay, good evening, everyone. So in 2015, the author Bill Bryson encountered a true Australian icon, and he wrote, I had gone no more than a dozen feet when I was joined by a swarm of flies. They buzzed around my face and they tried to settle on my upper lip. Within a minute, I was swiftly seeking into, the, into that state of abject wretchedness that comes from the prolonged encounter with an Australian fly. Flies are always irksome, he wrote, but the Australian variety will try to suck the moisture off your eyeballs. Get 40 of them dancing around you and madness will soon follow. So I walked, he wrote, with a buzzing cloud of woe, waving at my head in an increasingly hopeless manner, blowing out of my nose and mouth, shaking my head in a kind of furious dementia and slapping myself with startling violence. Eventually, as the flies knew all along, I gave up and they fell upon me as upon a corpse. If you've ever encountered bushflies, you'll recognise a scene. But why haven't more of us here had flies suck the moisture off our eyeballs recently? Why has it been a good year since I've had flies settle on my upper lip? Why? Because of a scientist named Dr George Bornmeiser, because he loved dung beetles more than most. I'm just going to fix this. Uh, this evening, I'm going to talk about two insects and one man, so dung beetles, flies, and Dr. George. He's an insect scientist or an entomologist. He's an adventurer, an immigrant, a conservationist, and a farmer's friend. We'll travel to Hungary, to Austria, to Australia, to Hawaii, and back again. We'll be subterranean, we'll be airborne, and we'll be deep inside a cattle dung. I might even scatter, in a few poo puns, daggy jokes at the true sense of the word. So let's burrow into this story. Firstly, let's talk about farmers and flies. Picture, picture yourself in a cow paddock in the 1950s. You have a humble herd of cattle. You've ploughed your paddock with some pasture, maybe millet, proud as punt, so many cow pats. And they lay upon your paddocks like fresh scabs on a face. And on your own face, swarms of flies, thousands of buggers, around your eyes, trying to get, trying to get into the corners of your eyes. So beef cattle were introduced to Australia in 1788. I grew up on a cattle station in Western Queensland. And today, there are more than 28 million cattle in Australia. Each of those 28 million cattle produce 12 cow pats a day, and each cow pat is around three litres, three litres of manure. So that's three litres of undigested or semi-digested grass slopping out of a cow's behind, a steaming liquid, and then within about two weeks, drying into a kind of discus of poo. Within those two weeks, a single cow pat, if it remains there on the surface, can produce around 3,000 flies. 
And so someone has done the stats for this and they've come up with an estimate of about, that means about a trillion flies from every day's harvest of cow manure. That's an incredible number of flies. And like Bill Bryson, perhaps fortunately or unfortunately, I've had that experience of being utterly inundated and um, rendered momentarily mad by, um, by bushflies. So this time last year, I was in the Simpson Desert doing some uh, field work. Uh, and the Simpson Desert, even though it's like a, a national park, it's surrounded by cattle stations. So while we were there for two weeks of doing uh, scientific work, there were just swarms of flies, just thousands of them. And some scientists just took to and who I didn't know better, if I didn't know that they had compound eyesight, I would call them myopic. Because their one mission was to get into, it seemed like their mission, even if we had sunglasses on, was to get inside our eyes and to drink from our eyes, which is actually true. So flies make a beeline for our face and any kind of moist, exposed parts of any animal because they need protein. So the females need protein in order to, um, to create healthy eggs. So they're very, like, flies' very reproductive success depends upon their ability to get at our eye juices. So it's little wonder then that, um, that they're so persistent. And they don't just hassle humans, so flies also pester cattle. In northern Australia, um, there's an uh, introduced fly called the buffalo fly, and it's the type of fly that also lays its eggs in cattle poo. Um, and it's a serious pest, so each fly uh, each day will take about 20 blood feeds from cattle. So they're constantly hassling cattle, feeding, like piercing their skin, sucking their blood, and it's become such an issue that cows, some of the cattle aren't eating because they're just constantly trying to rid themselves from these blood, blood feeders. So unburied dung means more flies, but it also means less grass. So up until the 1960s, when the, cattle, when the cow pats just remain on the surface, they kind of foul and spoil the grass around them. So the grass goes really rank and the cattle don't like to eat it. So 70 years ago, the Australian pastoral industry was drowning in dung. And if you stood at that paddock, you'd see a sea of cow manure, swarms of flies, a frustrated farmer trying to plough the kind of concreted turds across their paddock. But if that paddock happened to be north of Perth, you, almost, you also might see a man in gold-rimmed spectacles and a kind of off-kilter woolen beret, just staring out of the paddock, perhaps stroking his chin and thinking about beetles. So who is this handsome Hungarian-born beetle man? Dr. George Bornmeiser was born in 1924 in Hungary. From the age of two, he searched the forest near his, near his hometown for beetles and anything, in his words, that was creepy crawly. At 15, he announced to his parents that he was going to be a beetle man for the rest of his life. He went on to study science in Budapest in Austria. But then in 1950, he fled to Western Australia, who was seeking refuge from the Soviet regime in post-World War II Eastern Europe. When he arrived, he spoke very little English, but he knew a lot about beetles. And for that, we can be very thankful. Because while he was working for the CSIRO, George was out in the paddock 
And something struck him. He said he was appalled to see so much dung still remaining unburied on the soil surface. In his native Hungary, dung beetles would have removed this, these huge quantities of cow poo. And then he said, which I think is quite sweet, it rushed upon me like a cascade of water. I knew, I just knew. He did six years of solo research before presenting his idea to the CSIRO. He realised that the Australian um, dung beetles, of which we have about 350 species, have evolved to eat and bury the small dry pellets of our marsupials. They couldn't manage the litres of slop produced by cattle. Australian dung beetles needed help from overseas. We needed to import foreign dung beetles. Jack started in 1965 and George travelled um, around the world to more than 30 countries, carefully choosing those beetles that he'd bring back to Australia to try and solve these problems. He brought 54 species back to Australia, mass reared them, mass released them onto farms around the country. And still today, so 23 of those species have thrived here. And so they're bearing tons of manure each year. And so there are two types of dung beetles. There are dung ball rollers, and these ones you've probably seen on David Attenborough like documentaries. So they're the type of beetles that they um, create these dung balls above ground and they bury the egg inside of them and they roll them um, quite a distance away and either bury them there or they'll kind of hide them in some vegetation. So I read today actually, which I thought was quite amusing and very inclusive in, um, in the way that the metaphor was framed. But one scientist said that that would be the equivalent of a human rolling a Holden or a, Comet or a Ford car for about a kilometre. But 90% of the species, most of them, are tunnelling beetles. So they fly, they find a wet cow pat, they fly into it, quickly dig a network of tunnels, bearing the poo, laying the eggs inside of it. Um, and then so essentially aerating the soil, getting rid of the soil and burying it underneath the ground. And so this project was an incredible success. So uh, there was a decline, a huge decline, such a decline in the bushfly populations that one journalist um, quite dramatically reported that this is the beginning of the end of the Australian bush control programs in the world. Uh, today, scientists and land, land care groups and farmers are still mass rearing and mass producing those dung beetles. I remember that from when I was a kid, actually, just like releasing the beetles out into the farm and the properties around us did that as well. Um, and so he worked, George worked for 30 years on this project. He died in 2014 at the age of 90. Before his death, he also produced lots of beautiful collections of beetles that, he's, um, that, he, sent, that he donated to um, museum groups in Australia. So why did I choose this man, this lover of beetles, this father of disappearing feces? I liked George because he was clever. He was observant. He was patient and he was also passionate in a refreshingly kind of vague way. So he once said, I felt that I had a kind of mission to find something important. I had no idea what it was, but I thought I'd just expose myself to every experience and impression and see what was waiting for me. I love that. I love how vague that is. Um, but he succeeded and he received many accolades for his service to Australia. 
And among those is le perhaps less conventional, but I think a truly lofty tribute. His work is credited with being the reason why Australia's, Australians can now enjoy an outdoor and terrace cafe culture. So 25 years ago, perhaps some of you know, many Australian towns and cities actually had legislation that said it was illegal for people to eat outside in a public restaurant unless they were inside a fly-proof cage. Such was the revolting prevalence of bushflies. One scientist shuddered, we don't want to imagine life without foreign beetles. The success of George's work, the 90% reduction in bushflies in some areas, actually made outdoor dining legal. As George said, in Australia, oh, in Australia, you can have coffee tables outside and on the pavement. You couldn't do that in my time. Now there's a man after Melbourne's heart. Thank you.